0: My name is Jeremy Johnson. I am an uh, intern pastor here at Hope. Um, I think this is my third or fourth time here at City Branch, and it's great to be here. Um, you guys got it going on. This is a great place to be, and I just love... The, the community that you have here is wonderful, so praise God for that. And, and also, <clears throat> praise God that in the midst of the, the dreary week that we've had... I mean, the sun's starting to break through. And what a lift of our spirit that is. So God's just working through us this morning. So glad to be here. Glad that you are here. And hope that God is is just doing mighty things because he has a plan for you. A marvelous plan. We are continuing here at Lutheran Church of Hope. We're continuing through Lent. uh, We're looking at spiritual disciplines. So oftentimes we think of this word discipline and we think of it something as being painful. But we're going to look at it a little bit differently. It's interesting, we're in the period of Lent, this 40-day journey from Ash Wednesday, which was February 17th, to Easter, which is April 4th, actually 46 days, but we take the Sundays out. So 40 days we take to march towards Easter, and we, and we look at the sacrifice that Christ did for us on the cross. Immediately after Christ was baptized, he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and is tested and is tried in every way by the devil. So that we may have a God, we may have a God who loves us so dearly that would become human and face every trial and temptation we could imagine. And so that's why oftentimes we look at this period of Lent and we will sacrifice something. We will give something up. It is not necessary, it is not required, but sometimes people will do that. It's interesting, Lent can literally be translated as spring. So this is a period of spring, and especially as the sun breaks through these windows, we know that spring is a time of renewal. It's a time of rebirth. It's a time of hope. It's a time of of freshness. There's new life that happens in spring. And for a kid from North Dakota, to have this feeling of spring come in March is unbelievable. (laughs) I went for a run last Monday in shorts. It was my birthday. I have never run outside in shorts on my birthday. And I did it. And so spring, it's this feeling of hope, this newness of life. And we're looking at spiritual disciplines. Well, I would rather look at it as training. How we can become more like Christ. It's not anything that will earn us a spot in heaven. It's nothing that will earn us God's favor. God loves you more than you could imagine. And God's opinion of you will not change. But it's an opportunity for us to remove some of those things that distract us from realizing the gift that comes through Jesus Christ. So we're in a time of spring training. I love this time of year. I'm a baseball fanatic. The baseball teams, Major League Baseball, is in spring training. And these players who are the best at what they do, they need this period of spring training to prepare themselves for the season which comes to them. So we're doing that. As a community, as a group, we are going through spring training so we can prepare ourselves, so we can grow, so we can learn, so we can realize the plans that God has for us, that God has laid out for each and every single one of us. And this week we're going to look at the spiritual discipline or the training of study what it means to study, what it means to soak ourselves into the Word of God, what it means to soak ourselves into Scripture. As we heard in the Gospel reading today, uh, we hear that, that Jesus says, this is a rock, this is a foundation. And what does it mean when we can take some time, when we can take this time of spring and we can learn what God is saying to us? And so we're going to do that, we're going to look at study today, but for many of us, study has a negative connotation. School wasn't maybe the most fun. It was kind of a drag maybe. So take a couple minutes. There's some sheets under uh, under one of the chairs in your pods. I learned this morning they're called pods. And take about four or five minutes and there's just a couple questions to get started. A couple questions to kind of milk our brains what... Uh, to prepare ourselves for what study means and they'll also be on the PowerPoint screen so just take a couple minutes and chat with your uh, fellow podmates and then we'll continue on here is public speaking Not you, sh- you should not do 101 but what gets in the way of our study what were some things you were talking about procrastination, procrastination what else the devil, the devil what else don't know, don't know where to start what else life, life? Life, what else? Huh? Teachers Teachers get... (laughs) Have at it, I'm going home. There's a lot of things that get in the way. There are a lot of things that get in the way of our study. I mean, we find ourselves... Zondervan, a publisher, publishes a lot of versions of the Bible. Zondervan did a study in 2003 and they found that the American household has an average of 3.9 Bibles in it. The average house has almost four Bibles in it. I don't know where the .9 comes from. 3.9 Bibles per household. It is the most popular book far and away unmatched in the world. Nothing has sold the way that the Bible has sold. It it, it is unrivaled. If it were to be reported in bestseller lists, it would be on the top nearly every single week. The most popular book. But so often, so often the scriptures, the Bible, uh, the word that God has for us goes from store shelves to our bookshelves, doesn't it? I mean, there's something in us, there's something that grows in us that we know, we know that there is something that is amazing, that there's something that's valuable, that that something happens in this word, in scripture, but for some reason, even though we know it, even though we'll go and buy it, even though we'll have 3.9 of them in our homes, so oftentimes they go untouched. And I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty, I'm saying that because it's a reality. It's a reality that we live with. And distractions get in the way. Things get in the way. Life happens. About seven or eight months ago, I don't know, you'd have to ask my wife. She knows these things, I don't. But we decided that it was time for us as a couple, we wanted to add a member to our family. We decided that we were going to try to have kids. And so my wife, being the wise and smart person that she is, the first thing she does is she goes to the bookstore and she comes home with what I have learned to be the book. It is the book. It is the Bible, if you will, of pregnancy. And a lot of you are smiling and a lot of you are nodding. It's on like its 1700th edition and she comes home with the book and she looks at me and she said, Jeremy, as we start thinking about getting pregnant, I think you should read the book. And I said, sweetie, that's just not my, that's not my thing. You're a lot better at stuff like that. Why don't you just read it? Why don't you read it and kind of give me the meat and potatoes? Give me the nuts and bolts. Tell me what I need to know. Maybe you should just give me the Cliff Notes version. I mean, it worked for me in high school English. Maybe it will work for me now. She said, no, I think you should read the book. And I said, sorry, babe, probably not going to read the book. She said, there's even a section for fathers. I thought, what else do I need to know? You should read the book. It was just after Christmas, my wife said, looked at me and she said, I think I'm pregnant. I said, how do you know? And she said, well, I just know. And so we went through one of those home pregnancy tests and we took the... She took the home pregnancy test. It was negative for me. But she took the home pregnancy test and what she did is, is she, she slid the, the test under a sheet of paper and we had to wait five minutes before the results would show. So we sat there and we set the, t- the, the stopwatch and I kind of made a contest out of it. And I, I'm looking at the stopwatch and we count down the last ten seconds. And we're sitting in the bathroom. I put the lid down on the toilet. I'm sitting on the toilet and I'm waiting. And on the count of three, she's going to pull the sheet out. One, two, three. And there is two lines. And I'm going, how accurate is this? She said, they're pretty accurate. I said, so two lines means you're pregnant. She said, yeah, two lines means I'm pregnant. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, that poor child is going to have me as a father. We're in trouble. But we hugged and we kissed and we were so excited. We went to the doctor that Friday. We, we got the blood test and at that point we were about four and a half, five weeks pregnant. We got home from the doctor. My wife looked at me and she said, Jeremy, you got to read the book. And I said, what? For the next eight months there will be this warm glow about you. As we walk down the street, the birds will chirp. It's a beautiful day. I mean, life couldn't be better. Why do I need to read the book? There's nothing else to know. She said, you really should read the book. It will step you through what happens in pregnancy. And I said, well, in eight months, we're going to have a baby. That's all that happens in pregnancy. That lasted for two weeks. Pretty soon after that, there was a change that happened in my wife. A change that I did not see coming. All of a sudden, my perky, energetic, lively wife was more tired than I'd ever seen anybody in my whole entire life. Pretty soon, she could hardly make it off the couch at night to make it into the bedroom to go to bed. And being the loving, doting husband that I am, I got frustrated. <laughs> it happened one day. You've got to remember that this is a church of love and forgiveness. And support. So, fellas, um, if, if, if a woman starts running after me, hold her back. Support me on this. Ladies, just forgive me. I'm learning. My wife, I get home from church. My wife has her head on the counter. And I said, not feeling so good, huh? She said, I've never felt so terrible in all of my life. I've never been this tired in my whole life. She said, I've never felt so sick. And I looked at her and I said, Bridget, we've been praying for this. We've been been wanting this for months. I mean, Bridget, maybe you just have to realize that this is your new normal. Yeah, it didn't go over well with her either. You think I'd learn? And she said, what? What? I said, sometimes it's just mind over matter. Yeah, second, second strike. Barely. And she said, seriously? Seriously? She said, do you have any clue what's going on in my body right now? Do you have any clue the hormone changes that are taking place in my body? And she got up and she was going to leave to go to the other room. And I looked at her and I said, how am I supposed to know? how am I supposed to know what's happening in your body? She said, did you read the book? I said, where's the book? And I frantically started paging through the book. And step by step, it started telling me everything that was happening in her body. And I took the book and I walked back to the bedroom and I opened the door a crack and I waved it like a white flag. I said, sweetie, the heart is starting to beat today. Way to go. You're working hard. What can I do for you? Have you read the book? I mean, it's bigger than a silly story about pregnancy that I will never live down. Have you read the book? You see, so oftentimes we go through life... And we walk through life blind. We, we walk through life without ever reading what God has in store for us, what God has planned for us for us, what God thinks of us, what God's heart says about us. We walk through life, we walk through it, and we go through it blind. And if there's anything I know, if there's anything that I can be certain of, is that the next moment that goes by in this life, I am entering a new situation. Unsure of what is going to happen just around the corner. We do not know what will happen in our lives. And so oftentimes we find ourselves in situations, we find ourselves in those situations, and we have no clue how on earth we will ever make it through. And we have a word from God that does not take our pain away, but it allows us to see what God has in store for us. Have you read the book? Have you taken some time to study what God thinks of you? Jesus was preaching to crowds of people. One of of the most popular sermons of all time. He's preaching up on a mountainside. There's a multitude, there's a gathering, there's a huge gathering of people that have come to hear the words that he says. It's Matthew 5 through 7. At the end of it, and you heard it this morning, people were amazed at the way he was speaking. They had never heard anyone use the words that he was using the way he was using them. He's telling them ideas that were absolutely radical, that were countercultural, that flipped what they thought and flipped what they knew upside down, gave them a new way. And Jesus says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I'm going to ask you to read that again in your groups because it's powerful. So take take about five to ten minutes and and go through the next set of questions. Uh, Read the scriptures, go through the questions. We'll take about ten minutes and then we'll, we'll reconvene. What well, gets in the way of your study? Me. Jesus says anybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who builds their house on rock. My question is what's your foundation? What, what is it for you? What, it is, what does it all hinge on? Is it, is it your wealth? Is it, is it your, your image? Is it your status? Is it what other people think of you? What is it for you? What's your foundation? Because it's, it, it's something for all of us. It all hinges on something for us. If only I had this. If only I looked like that. If only... We live our lives so often in if-onlys. And it becomes our truth. It becomes our foundation. And Jesus says, it's not about that. It's about what I have to say to you. You see, the thing that's so important about study is it becomes truth for us. It becomes the foundation for us. It allows us to see who God thinks that we are. A wonderful and beautiful creation created in His image. This past fall, my wife and I took Alpha. And as with many people who take Alpha, we were, it's, a, it's a Bible study course, and we were concerned what our small group would be like. Would we fit in? Would they like us? Would we like them? And something amazing happened in our Alpha group. It was a bunch of couples about the same age that we were. We got into our group. And the second week in our small group, there is a guy named Jason, and he knows that I'm sharing this today. Jason admitted that the only reason he took Alpha was because his wife made him. Jason had no interest in it at all. But he thought going to Alpha would be a lot easier of a thing than arguing with his wife on why he wasn't going to go. So he went. It's our second week in small group and Jason is is sitting in, in the circle with his hands on his knees. Hadn't really said much. Jason looks up and he said, I don't really know what's happening, but it's all happening so fast. We're wondering what what's happening. He said it's all just happening so fast. He said I find myself in my truck. I spend a lot of time in my truck for work, and he said everything's starting to change. He said I found I found myself thinking an awful lot recently. He said I've started to think a lot about God. He said, I've started to pray for the people that I work with and I I don't even know if I'm praying correctly. He said, I don't know what's happening, but it's all happening so fast. He said, he found himself picking up the Bible and starting to read. He said, it's the best book I've ever read. I can't put it down. He said, I have to be careful that I don't start reading later at night because I won't go to sleep in in Romans 10 Paul writes he writes to the people in Rome he says consequently faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ how many times in worship have you have you been in the midst of a praise song, and and it's like the notes are coming together and the voices are coming together and something is happening in your heart and as the music is being sung, it's like the, the emotion is overflowing inside of you and you just can't quiet it. It's like the words of the music are connecting with you on an intimate level that you thought nothing could connect with you. So many times, the thing I love about this church, so many times you hear people talk about the messages that were given and they talk about people like John who are given a message and they say it feels like it was just John and I in that gym that morning and everything John was saying was connecting right to the innermost layer of my heart, the deepest core of my heart. It was like my heart had been ripped open and John was speaking directly into my life. How many times have you sat in worship and felt like, how on earth could that person know what's going on with me? And so often we think, well, the, the, the band is just so good, or, 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 or maybe our speakers are just so good, but you guys, you've got to realize that it's not the band. It's not the speakers. It's God's Word that is working in your heart. When we hear the Word of God, that's why we sing the Word of God. When that Word is spoken into our hearts, when that Word is spoken into our lives, something happens in us, something changes in us, and we will never be the same. Paul says faith is a gift that is given to you. It is nothing that you do. It is nothing that you can bring. You cannot create faith. But when the word of God is spoken into your life, when it is spoken into your heart, God takes a hold of you and changes you. And when we study, when we immerse ourselves in the Word of God, something changes. And it doesn't matter what season it is for you. It doesn't matter if this is the first time you've ever heard this message of Christ or if you've known it your entire life. Every time you hear the Word of God, something changes. Faith is ignited in you. That's why we sing. That's why we read the Word. That's why we hear the message. That's why study is so important because when you find time in your life to study what God thinks of you, something is ignited. The flame. The flame is fed. And not only that, but when we have been given faith, it leads us to truth. It leads us to what is true it leads us to know in the most difficult and delicate of situations to know what is true and what is not. In Second Timothy, Paul writes, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is useful. It is useful for teaching. So that when we come upon a situation, when we come upon places in our life, we will know what is true and it will equip us to do good works. It will allow us to see what God would will for us in our lives. That even when we are walking through the darkest valley as we sung about earlier, that we would know what is true. And then, I love this one. It's in Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So often we hear this scripture verse. And we hear it, and and, and oftentimes, and I'll confess, in my immaturity, I will think that the the double-edged sword, the sharp double-edged sword that the Word of God somehow gives me the right or gives me the privilege or permits me to use it to cut people out at the knees, to use it as a weapon to to tear them down. But when we hear the Word of God, it is the double-edged sword. Think surgeon's scalpel. Think about the intricate, think about the precision that it takes for the surgeon to go in with the instrument to cut that which is unhealthy away from that which will give life. When the surgeon goes in to cut the tumor out, the surgeon must be very careful, must be very, very careful to make just the right cuts, to not take away healthy tissue. The word of God is like the double-edged sword. It is so precise. It is so fine that it will cut that away which is unhealthy. It is used in such a way for us to give life to people, to breathe life into people's lives to tell people what God truly thinks of them, to tell people how intimately God knows them, to tell people that God created them and God formed them when they were in their mother's womb, that it will speak the truth so that they will know that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate them from the love of God that comes in Christ Jesus, that neither life nor death nor things above nor things below can ever take us away from that love that comes that God loves you so much, that God loves them so much, that God would speak a word of truth that might be difficult, that might be hard to hear, that might not always go with what we would will for our lives. But it's there so it will give us life in all of its abundance. I'll never forget, I was in ninth grade. I I was full of adolescence. I was full of rebellion. And I remember pleading with my dad to let me do something. I don't remember to this day what it was, but I remember pleading with my dad, Dad, please. Dad, please. Dad, please. And again and again and again, he responded, no. And finally, I uttered the words that so many teenagers and so many of us have uttered to God. I've said, Dad, if you loved me, if you loved me, you would let me do this. And I will never forget how my dad responded to me. My dad looked at me and he said, Jeremy, you're the only shot at you that I have. Jeremy, as a parent, there are no do-overs. Jeremy, if we were to let you do something and it were to hurt you, we could never take that back. So, Jeremy, let us love you enough to make this call for you. You see, God has a truth. God has a plan, and so oftentimes, so oftentimes we, we want. We want what, is, what we think we're entitled to. And God says, let me love you enough. Let, let yourself realize how much I love you, that you may read my truth, that you may study my word. You're the only shot at you that I have, and I loved you so much that I sent my son to the cross, that you may have life, that you may have truth, that you may have a truth that never changes. A truth that in an ever-changing world is never changing. A truth that trumps our desires. A truth that trumps the cares and the wants of this world. The truth that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. That raised him to life that we will celebrate in just a couple weeks. And may you find some time this this year, may you find some time to study God's word. May you carve out some time so you may know how intimately God loves you, so that you may know just how desperately God went to give you a future with hope. Let us pray.